My name is V, and it's my great privilege to welcome you to Good Friday at Soul Revival Church. Uh, today we are going to have an opportunity to stop and to think and I think it's an opportunity that if you haven't had one for the last few weeks is probably well overdue um, as we take a moment to remember the great sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. I hope that you will be greatly encouraged and challenged um, to be thinking about how we can actually be the people of God at this time. And if you don't usually join in um, and you're just um, watching today and you haven't met us before, welcome. It's wonderful to have you. Um, welcome to all our different services, Yarrawarra, Woolaware, the different Kirawee services. Um, it's great to have this chance to join together um, at this, um, yeah, this very special time. In Romans, uh, we read something really lovely that I wanted to share with you before we start tonight. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why we're here. That's why we're having this moment to think, to stop, to remember and to celebrate. It sounds strange to celebrate something like this, but we are celebrating. And um, we're remembering what an amazing thing Jesus has done for us. One of the things I've loved as we've continued to um, meet in this bit of a different way is uh, seeing the comments that come up um, on our Facebook feed and every time um, we have some beautiful music um, comments come up I'm sure there'll be there'll be some today um, Pete doesn't like it but I'm gonna say thanks because that was really very very beautiful and yeah very very appropriate for what we're doing right now um, we're gonna take a moment now to think about what Jesus actually achieved for us on that very first Good Friday the ability to come before God to confess our sins and have the forgiveness uh, that we need. It is a beautiful thing. And um, Peter, one of Jesus' closest mates, uh, talked about that in um, one of his letters. He said, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. But we know that often we don't die to sins, do we? We let them remain. And it's wonderful for us to have the opportunity to continue to join together and to, to pray, to confess, to talk to God about that. I'm going to lead us in a prayer now. Please join with me. And if these are your words, I encourage you to say a big heartfelt amen at the end. Father God, our maker and our judge, we humbly admit that we need your help. We have sinned against you in our thoughts, with our words, in our actions. We've lived with divided hearts, giving our time and energy to things that don't please you and not loving you with our whole heart. We've loved ourselves more than others. Father, we repent and are sorry for our sins. Please forgive us. Wipe out our sins and teach us to forgive others. Strengthen us to love and obey you and bring forth in us the fruit of the Spirit that we may live as disciples of Christ. All this we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. God fulfills his promises and he's true to his word. We've confessed our sins and God has forgiven us because Christ died for us. 
Jai is going to continue to bring our request before God. Next, Jai. Thanks, Fee. We're going to continue in prayer now, so let's pray. Our glorious Father, thank you that you had mercy on us and sent Jesus in your abundant grace. Thank you that sending him as saviour was part of your plan all along. Thank you that Jesus lived the perfect life, that he submitted himself to death and rose from the dead. Thank you that he has beaten evil and defeated Satan. Father, we thank you that in this country we have this long weekend to celebrate and to remember your son's death and resurrection. And Father, we pray that we would all take this time, as Fee has encouraged us to, to pause and to reflect on his death and resurrection. Father, we also pray for our pastors and the pastors all around the world who will be giving sermons in a new and different way, in ways they hadn't anticipated at the beginning of the year. We ask that you would help them to proclaim your word clearly and truthfully. Glorious God, we, we know that you are the hope and the healer of all people and that you have promised a, world to come, a, a great world that will come, a, a place where there will be no more sickness, where there will be no more crying and there will be no more death. By, your death, by the death and resurrection of your son Jesus, you have set us free from the penalty of sin and death. And so we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we ask that you would prosper the work of those who are seeking a vaccine for the coronavirus. Please strengthen them. Strengthen those who are treating the sick as well. Please comfort those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. Father, we pray that you would be the comfort for those who are living in fear of this disease. Father, we pray for our governing authorities and those who make decisions. We ask that you would give them wisdom in their management of this crisis and that you would give all people a peace beyond understanding, that you would give us generous and wise hearts and a renewed trust in your goodness and in your glory. Father, we also pray for those whose hearts may now be experiencing fear and anxiety. Father, we ask that they would find your peace and your comfort that is only found in your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. And good to be reminded of lots of different things, the things that we can be uh, serious about, but the things that we can be joyful about at the moment as well. Now we're going to um, cross. Yay, there she is. Hi, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear us? For those who um, uh, may just be tuning in and aren't regulars at, at church, you're one of our pastors. Tell us a little bit about um, you, um, just a brief of, of what you do and, and, and who, who your household is that you're um, yeah, you know, sure. with at the moment. <laughs> yep, sure. Yeah, well, so, yeah, I'm married to Anthony and we have two kids, uh, Jake and Beth, both adult kids. Um and Beth is living with us and Jake lives down the coast. All at the church is looking after the training side of things. So uh, I get involved in running our Berea program and I'm um, helping out with other aspects of running the church as well. So love it. 
Yeah, it is amazing. And I know so many people have conversations all the time with people who have, um, yeah, just stepped up and gone, yeah, I want to be trained in something. And it's been really fantastic that they've had the opportunity and, you know, your your role and your gifts are, are making that possible. So it's really, really exciting. And, um, yeah, really thankful for that. Um, we've been thinking a bit about some of the things that are going on at this time when we're not seeing each other face to face very much, um, yeah. but we are actually able to um, still be like um, encouraged and um, and and hear stories that'll um, yeah that'll um, make our hearts sing I suppose a little bit. And um, there was a story earlier you were talking about um, something that I um, yeah thought it'd be really lovely for um, for us to all hear about some things that have been making your heart sing at the moment. Yeah, do you want to share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I just think it's interesting, isn't it, how when we're in difficult sort of circumstances like this and a bit isolated from each other that it brings out some real generosity and real creativity in people. And I've just seen lots of great news stories, you know, on the internet that I, as I'm sure many have um, about all sorts of, you know, wonderful things that people are doing. But I was really encouraged by um, a story I heard about the really hard hit areas of Indonesia. Um, and in one of the worst hit areas, there are four churches um, that are running hospital or four church-run hospitals and five clinics that are run by um, Christians in um, the areas of Indonesia. And the, all of the um, health workers all just turned up and continued to work in these hospitals, even though they've got no equipment, no personal protective equipment at all. And so, you know, at great risk to themselves, they're going and serving their community and trying to um, you know, be there with those who are, are ill and suffering this virus. Um, but one of the really encouraging things beyond that, um, beyond the sort of generosity of those health workers, was a local church youth choir um, stood outside and sang to the health workers. They sang You'll Never Walk Alone just as to sort of encourage and thank those health workers for, for what they were doing. And, yeah, I just thought that was a wonderful story of um, courage, but, yeah, just that generous spirit that people can have in these circumstances, particularly, you know, those of faith. So, yeah, I was very encouraged by that. Yeah, it is, and it's... Um, it's they're yeah, very exciting to be able to yeah, just um, I suppose share those things with one another as well I think we've got a, a real sense at the moment that people want to hear stories um, I think the less we see each other face to face the more we want to hear each other perhaps I don't know if that's what it is but um, but just hearing people sharing stories with one another has been something that I've noticed um, yeah that it just seems to be something that is really um, a great encouragement and it's something that people are really hungering for a little bit at the moment so that's wonderful thank you for sharing that story with us yeah, that's very encouraging. Yeah, we can all still do things even when we're, yeah, stuck inside. We certainly can. <laughs> well, one of the things that we can do is the thing that we love to say at Sorrow Revival is the most important thing that we do because it is the most important thing that we do and it's reading God's word. Um, so, uh, first of all, uh, Karen is going to read to us um, from uh, one of the Gospels in Luke. Um, we're going to let her um, do that. We may not have some visuals, but we will have we'll have the we'll have the words up on the screen, and we'll be hearing Karen reading that to us. And um, and after that, we're going to have a beautiful reading from Isaiah, and Jai's going to bring that to us. Great. So I'm going to read from Luke 23, um, starting at verse 26. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, 
Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore the breasts, that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the, the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Thanks, Karen. Uh, we're going to continue reading. We're going to read from uh, Isaiah 53. We're going to look at verses 1 to 9. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to flick there, we're going to look at Isaiah 53. Verse 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. 
yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Well, good morning, everybody. My pleasure to be able to share that part of God's word with you this morning. But before we start, I've got a question for you. Don't you think Christianity is a weird religion? Um, that may be hard to fathom for those of us that have grown up in it, but when you think about it, um, Christianity is a sort of upside-down, back-to-front kind of religion. It'll take you by surprise. Take today, case in point. Today is Good Friday, arguably the most important day in the Christian calendar. And yet today we remember the brutal execution of an innocent man. And we call it good. And how can something so horrid be thought of as good? And so it's a good question for us today. Why is Good Friday Good Friday and not Bad Friday? or Sad Friday. Well, this surprising nature of Christianity actually helps us. It especially helps us in days like today, to help us to engage the challenging issues that we face. Um, the world, as we all know, right now is being gripped by a viral pandemic, which is quite literally killing thousands of people, crippling world economies, and having a devastating impact on our lives personally. And when this kind of suffering strikes, we need a surprising kind of God. We need a God who can stand beside us in our time of need. You see, when tragedy strikes and things go wrong, when the evil win and the righteous lose, we can take heart as Christians because this doesn't go by God unnoticed. The God of the Bible does understand because he himself has experienced suffering. He isn't looking on from a, from a distance. He has entered into our broken world and experienced a level of pain that thankfully most of us have not needed to endure. So if we can grasp that sort of surprising aspect of Christianity, then we actually won't be surprised when we meet Jesus because he too is a surprising kind of character. He's surprising in what he said and what he did. He certainly is, isn't what you would expect the saviour of the universe to be. So before we go on, why don't I pray now that God would help us to understand his surprising word, unexpected word, so that we might be able to hear it, understand it and obey it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are a big God and we are very limited people. Lord, help us to understand your surprising word. Help us not to be so arrogant or proud to think that we can understand it for ourselves. Help us to have humble, soft hearts and open minds as we come to your word this morning so that we might be able to respond to it rightly. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to be looking at uh, that passage from Isaiah a Bible passage that predicted the work of Jesus, uh, recorded there for us in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53, if you're following on in your Bibles at home. 
written around 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Now, the first thing you would have noticed from that passage was that Jesus is not the kind of guy you would think could save us. From the very start, he's very ordinary. Have a look at verse 2. I've got it here on the screen for you as well. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus would not have caught the camera's eye. He wouldn't have been on the front cover of popular magazines. There was no beauty or majesty about him. Indeed, apart from this verse, there's nothing said about his appearance at all in the Bible. Not that that has stopped us from drawing pictures of him. And in those pictures, he's always a a good-looking kind of guy. I've got a few here on the screen here for us we can run through. Here we have a Nordic Jesus, I like to think of. Sort of a very angelic Jesus here. Uh, Next one, we've got smouldering Jesus. And then we have just a general rugged, all-round good guy, Jesus. Um, they're, they're always they're very impressive guys. They look really good. Uh, one of the interesting things, though, is they're not even Middle Eastern. And the passage is making the point clear here. There was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Perhaps he actually would have looked more like this sort of image on the screen now. A very average-looking Middle Eastern guy. Now, it's not surprising that we glamorise Jesus because the world has always been obsessed with outward beauty. Um, We value glitz and glamour and good looks. But in today's world, it'd be almost without doubt that we would have passed by Jesus because there were no looks to attract us to him. Now, he would have been rejected not just because of his appearance, but also because of his suffering. Have a look at verse 3 here on the screen. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their face, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. So rather than being impressed by him, the figure in this prophecy is someone who we would feel sorry for. You know that gut reaction when you see a starving child in Africa? You have pity and you just think, oh, poor thing. Like a the terrible shock and sadness that we hear of the soaring death toll in Europe or New York. We shake our heads and we go, oh, poor things. We're we're moved with pity. And that's the response to the servant here. He wasn't just ordinary, he was tragic. A man of suffering, familiar with pain. And as we read on, the verse gets even more intense. People would not just pity Jesus. In verse 3 we see how Jesus uh, was despised, rejected by humanity. Um, Isn't it tragic that when God became man, our first inclination was to kill him? From the womb to the tomb, Jesus' life is marked with suffering. When he's born, what happens? The king tries to kill him. They have to run into hiding. As Jesus starts his ministry, the very first sermon he preaches makes people so angry they carry him to the edge of a cliff to throw him off it. And then all through his ministry, his 
the leaders, the authorities are seeking for ways to kill him. It's a terrible reflection on humanity, isn't it? That when God joined us to become a human, our response was to kill him. Now after reading these opening verses, we picture Jesus as an object of pity, not a reason for hope. There's nothing attractive in the, in the picture, rather we actually want to turn away from him. So we see suffering, but here we actually have no reason for that suffering. So we, we ask ourselves the question as we read on, what, why? Why such a tragic picture? And as we move on, we actually get some more insight into this portrait. But the surprise actually keeps growing. Because as we read, the suffering we've seen so far is actually voluntarily experienced. Look, look at verse 7 here on the screen. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The imagery here again is really graphic, isn't it? It draws us into the slaughterhouse. But we're not to stop there as just this being a mindless death. The picture of the lamb is here to remind us of the actually Old Testament sacrificial system. And verse 8 will make that clear if we have, have a look here on screen. Verse 8, for he was cut off from the land of the living. Why? For the transgression of my people he was punished. And we're going to see this in a little bit more detail later. Jesus' suffering was a result of carrying the transgressions, the crimes of others. But first, what we need to see here is that Jesus was a willing sacrifice. And it's, it's hinted at it here in the verse when it says, he didn't open his mouth. Now you might remember from the Gospels when Jesus was in trial, he remained silent. Even though he stood there and faced trumped up charges, he didn't argue. He allowed that travesty of justice to continue. But Jesus is not a, a speechless or a, a dumb animal being led in ignorance to its slaughter. He's not forced to go to his death. He willingly lays down his life. Jesus was well aware of what was going on at any point, at any point, he could have stepped away. Jesus himself said before his trial in the Gospel of John, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to take it up again. So the hands of Jesus were not tied. Rather, he entrusts himself to the Father's will and plan. It was his Father's plan and it was Jesus' choice to be a willing participant in that plan from the beginning right through to the end. A willing sacrifice, an obedient servant for you and for me. Jesus took hold of the, the cross. It was his choice. Well, Jesus' death was voluntary, but it was also undeserved. Have a look at verse 9 here with me. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence nor any deceit was in his mouth. For even though he did no violence, it says there, he was charged and put to death as a criminal. Even though he didn't lie, people lied about him. Being treated constantly as a sinner, behaving constantly as a sinless saint. You know, it's not until Jesus hangs on the cross alongside two criminals that one of them comes to his senses and says, this man has done nothing wrong. Well, 
As we read Luke's account of the crucifixion, did you notice the repeated insult that was coming from the crowd, from those watching on? In three verses, it's repeated three times. It said, if you're the Messiah, save yourself. Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the Christ, is quite able to save himself, but chooses not to. He does that in order so that he can save you and he can save me. So coming back to Isaiah, the point becomes even more clear. Jesus goes through suffering and death to take the punishment that we deserve. Have a look at Isaiah 53 verses 4 to 6 with me now. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Imagine this is a book that had recorded all your sin. Now maybe it might be a bit too small, but just picture it for a moment, that this book was full of your sin, all your sinful thoughts or words or deeds, everything seen, unseen, the lies, the gossip, the self-righteousness, the anger, the greed, the selfishness, the pride. I don't need to go on, you get the idea. Now, all those things are written down and recorded, but not only the things we've done, what about the things we've not done, that we should have done? The failure to love, the failure to step in, to do the things that needed to be done. The failure to help because we turned a blind eye to the need. When we walked away from suffering, knowing that we could have done something about it. And what about the root problem of it all? What about the rejection of God? The attitude of simply ignoring the one that allows the sun to shine, the one that keeps our hearts beating, the one that fills our lungs with air, and yet we don't even give him a second thought. We simply get on with life without him and indeed prefer God to not be around at all. And all these things build up and build up and build up in our lives and we're in a dangerous position. For how do we stand before God with such a record of sin? Friends, we can't. We're in a position of judgment. And if this sin is not dealt with, we'll be permanently cut off from God forever. And all the remorse, all the sorrows in the world won't fix our problem. We can't take away this sin. You can't take it away yourself. We're absolutely powerless. Elsewhere in the Bible it talks about us being dead in our sin. And now Isaiah 53 is saying that in time one would come, the Lord Jesus, who would come into this world and live a full life, but would commit no violence, who would speak no lie, who would match God's law with perfect obedience, who would match God's love with perfect love. Every moment of every day, he did it right. Now with all this in place, we read Isaiah 53 verse 6 and it says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. At the cross, Jesus didn't just save himself. He chose to save you and me. And this is the most wonderful surprise of Christianity, is it not? That God himself would take the punishment that we deserve, that we would, be have, we would have forgiveness and peace before God. As it says there, his punishment brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. The Bible says that in order to stand forgiven before God, there is nothing you can do. It's all done by him. And this is the upside-down nature of Christianity because it's so different to all the other religions of the world that will say forgiveness is payment for a good life or a reward for obedience. They're all in agreement here, but biblical Christianity stands totally opposite. It's not what you can do, but what God has done. Now you might remember that famous speech by John F. Kennedy. I'm going to read it out so I don't get it wrong. When he said, do not ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Now in the light of Good Friday, you know what God's saying? God's saying, do not ask what you can do for God. Ask first what God has done for you. Because at the heart of Christianity is the cross. And it's there that Jesus, God's son, has taken the punishment that you and I deserve. And that's why Good Friday is good. And so then our response to the suffering Jesus is radically changed, isn't it? Rather than feeling pity for the crucified Christ, we now bow our knee to him. Rather than hiding our face from him, we turn to him with our need to be forgiven. The one that might have been appalled by is the one now we love and worship in grateful thanks. Isn't it wonderful that Christianity is upside down and back to front? You want to become a Christian? Then it's not about you serving the king. It's first allowing the king to serve you. Good Friday reminds us that Jesus has dealt with our sin and our rebellion at the cross. And that's why it's a good, good day. Now I'm going to close in prayer now. But if you want to accept the offer of forgiveness and peace of God, you can pray along with me. So I'm going to pray a line at a time, a phrase at a time. And if this is your prayer, then I'll give you time to repeat each of these phrases in your heart to God. So why don't you pray with me? Let's pray. Dear Father, I admit that I've sinned against you. I've gone astray and turned my own way to live life without you. Please forgive me, Jesus. Thank you for being pierced for my sins and crushed for my rebellion. Thank you for dying on the cross and taking the punishment my sins deserved. Allow me to know that I'm fully forgiven. Jesus, I want you to be my saviour and king. Please help me 
and change me so I can live for you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Just a reminder, if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings up the top of the page. You can choose anyone you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Thanks again and one way. Music is okay by Ixon.